1: Hey everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of With Tamara Gondor, that is me. I have the privilege of interviewing everyday innovators from across the globe. That's people like you and me who are out there thinking differently, who are out there being creative, being innovative, just out in the world making it happen. And they come from all different backgrounds. Some of them are CEOs of companies, some of them are leaders, some of them are administrative assistants, moving their way up the ladder. Some are entrepreneurs, some are moms, some are all of the above. So I'm super excited for today. Today I'm interviewing Rachel. Before she introduces herself, let me just tell you a little bit about her everyday innovator style think you're going to hear some interesting comments. I want you listening out there as I talk about this to just hear it in our conversation and hear how Rachel has really leveraged her style to be an everyday innovator. Now her everyday innovator strengths, so we're not going to worry about the dormant, is collaborative inquisitive. So here's what that means. If you're a collaborative, you're all about pulling disparate pieces and ideas and experiences together to create whole innovation. So you tend to pull a little bit from here, a little bit from over here. It's kind of like, collaboratives are really good at pulling all these different puzzle pieces that maybe are random or maybe kind of all over the place and putting them together to create the bigger picture that we all get. Collaboratives are also really good at getting buy-in because they tend to gather, because they are information and experience seekers. They seek out people and conversations sooner than maybe some of us who are risk-taker experiential Put our ideas out in the world first so that's the collaborative side the inquisitive side is all about digging deep challenging assumptions pulling back the layers saying why do we do it this way why does it have to be this way while the rest of us tend to sit on the surface inquisitives are really good at going deeper for them innovations and the questions not the answers so together Rachel brings whole deep innovation to the table. I can't wait to hear how this is coming across in kind of our conversation and the life that she's built. So, Rachel,
2: welcome to the show. Tell the world a little bit about who you are and the world that you are in. Thank you. What an introduction. <laughs> I'm just sitting here saying, oh, do go on. <laughs> I mean, that is so nice. It's so fascinating to hear you talk about things. <laughs> um, uh, so my name is Rachel Griman. I own Green Chair Stories. It is a copywriting collective Um, We write websites for photographers. It's really that simple. Um, I started as a documentary family photographer about 10 years ago. And I just quickly realized that a lot of photographers are terrible at writing. And (laughs) so I have a photojournalism degree. I spent almost a decade writing for nonprofits. So writing and photos has kind of always gone together for me. So it was just a really natural segue into helping photographers kind of... um, figure out what their brand message is and then translate that into copy for their websites. And so we have a team now, there's five or six of us, um, six of us now. (laughs) And we're all based in Denver, which is really, really fun. Uh, But we work with people all over the country and sometimes internationally, which is fun to do as well.
1: Yeah, I got a question for you on that because what? as I'm listening to you talk and you're talking about kind of photographers not being good writers, right? Of course, right? Most mm-hmm. of them are good at that, right? They're yeah, not good at this. Yeah. Not all, um, and, not all are bad writers. Just Yeah. A yeah, lot. yeah. <laughs> but but a lot of us have a like w- of the skills that we need to do well, to succeed. Typically, we have one or two, but we don't have all of them. That's human nature. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just reality sometimes though what i find is that people have a problem in an area but they don't know they have it and i'm just curious when you decided hey wait a minute there's a gap here i can fill like photographers need help writing and frankly who can do it all was it did you have to educate them too on like hey let me show you how this can
2: be better and can help you or was it like my god i've been waiting for someone to help me right it's both and it's still both to this day you know 8 years later after yes. we started doing it because in the beginning, people were coming to me asking for help. They were saying, I heard you help my friend. Can you help me with my site? So I wasn't really educating on it. Then when it became more of like a business model that I wanted to do, that I wanted to pursue. And when I started hiring writers, I needed to market it more. And when marketing became a piece of the copywriting side of my business, that's when I started to convince people that they had a problem Mm -hmm. because people would say, I'm not getting leads or the leads I'm getting are bad. And they think it's an issue with the photos that they're putting out there. And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. It's not your photos at all. It's the message that you have. As the market has become more saturated, as equipment gets better and better and better for photographers, they you have to differentiate yourself in another way. So many people can take a beautiful photo. I'm a photographer. I am not the best, not even close. So if I'm going to get hired, I need to have something that sets me apart from somebody who does it down the street. So I'm just smiling because I love how
1: you say that. And I think if you're out there listening, I'd really think about... um, How you show the world you have a skill that they need. And whether that's internally at a company or entrepreneur or business owner, like I think sometimes to your point about when the marketing came in, you could really start to show people. Mm -hmm. Um, And we often, I think, focus on the wrong thing. Like you said, like my photos aren't good. No, no, that's not the problem because we don't know what to focus on. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you what's a big win or something you're most proud of?
2: Um, This is always a hard question for me to answer because I always feel like we're in the middle of it, but we're about to launch a new site um next week actually so maybe by the time people hear this it will be up but um it has been just an absolute beast of a project because it was just me on the website because I have contractors. I never wanted to put my contractors on the website because I was nervous. And then my I've had my longest contractor for four years. Like My people stick with me. And so I finally made the decision like, okay, it's not just Rachel Griman running this. There's a whole team of people behind this. And I want to put their faces on the site because that's who they're going to be dealing with. It's not necessarily going to be me at this point. So it's just been a just beast of a project. And there's been so many hiccups just with technology and timing and schools being closed for me and the developer and the designer. And anyway, we're so close to the finish line. And I'm so proud that we all figured it out when our lives were like kind of blowing up a little bit.
1: Let me ask you a question on that. Cause that congratulations, first of all, and I Thank can't you. wait to see it. Not yet. It's, it's not up yet. <laughs> almost. Yeah. Um, but it is a big, like I I think like if you're out, you know, you could say, well, it's just a website, but it really is a whole revamp in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying you're rebuilding a your brand, but it's a big to do to do a website. Huge. Oh my gosh, yes. So just for a moment, for all of us thinking about like the big projects in our lives and in our work, it may not be a website, it could be something totally different, but mm-hmm. we all have that big project. And yet, right, the world is going crazy at the same time that you're doing all this. And it's still a little bit crazy. Like we're, we're not, That's we're not in a normal place yet. Mm-hmm um how did you and your team thinking about getting through the valleys yeah getting through the valleys because like you said it was a beast right that so that tells me there's probably moments at the bottom where it's like oh my god
2: should we be doing this why is this taking 3 weeks when it should have taken one week like how did you deal with that we built in so much extra time like i didn't i didn't want to launch anything else in my business around this i did not want my site to need to be live by a certain point like i wanted to be able to take two weeks down if i needed to like if something breaks i need to be okay so i've been planning for this for 6 months and i took off january of all client work to write the whole website
0: and wow.
2: Thank God I did because my kids were not in school the whole time, <laughs> but that's another thing, but it just like, just planning for the worst. That's like all it comes down to. And if there's anything COVID has taught me, it is to plan for the worst over and over and over again. And it's been so great because things have gone wrong and I have been able to look at it and go, "Up, well, I figured. And it's not a big deal. Like, I'm not like not going to make a paycheck or not going to be able to pay my people. I've been budgeting for this forever. Let me ask you a question on
1: that. Cause I think that's so interesting of like, to me, it's a game of expectation. Uh-huh. So if I know shit's going down mm-hmm. and it happens, I'm okay with it. Cause to you said, you're like, yep. Or if it goes better, I'm happy because totally. hey, the worst case didn't happen. And I'm not, I think sometimes to my detriment, I'm a, a just a total optimist. And same, yeah. And sometimes I actually think that's worse because then like it's I just so sad. want the best, <laughs> yeah, right. And then it happens, and I'm like, oh, I didn't want you know, I, and I don't want to, right? I don't want to be a self fulfilling prophecy. I don't want to make it happen by focusing on the worst. But yeah. but I love what you're saying about that because there's a level of ease that comes with being like, yo. At some point, the worst is going to happen. So let's just assume that and then everything's
2: kind of, I don't want to say totally. up from there, but at least your expectations in the right place. And that's shifted for me because I am a total optimist at heart. I always, I love the feeling of being excited. It's my favorite feeling in the yeah, world it's too, so good. to get pumped up for something and t- the yeah. anticipation. There's nothing better to me than that. And I have had to unmarry the feeling of being excited to optimism and cause they're different things and being, ex- you can be excited about something and still hold the timeline of it loosely. And that was very important for me after several years of a lot of disappointment because I just, I t- attached the excitement to a timeline and I think having kids in general, you probably shouldn't do that, but definitely having babies during COVID, you can't like nothing was certain for the past two years. So it's, it taught me a lot, even though it was tough. So that is a huge insight, Rachel. So I just want to take a second on that, this idea that you can
1: decouple excitement and being an optimist. And I mm-hmm. think we at myself included, like this was, thank you. This was hugely like an insightful moment for me Oh, good. as I connected to you. Cause I think well, if you're thinking about worst case or that you pull, you're taking the excitement away. But I, but I love that of like, they're not together. In fact, I don't know that they're mutually exclusive, but one doesn't have to rely on the other just gives a little bit of level of ease of like, I can still get excited and still know that I've got a plan for the worst mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's actually really
2: huge. Yeah. No, it's been so great because my site was technically supposed to be done now and live and it's not yeah. going to be done for another 10 days. I'm still getting the site that I have worked so hard on. I am still excited about that. Okay. It's two weeks later. Okay. And like, it's not a big deal.
1: You know, I had a, a colleague on, her name is Chris, uh, Besh and she, this is a couple weeks ago now. And, you know, she was talking about how she's gotten okay with, um, incompletion. And that was a really hard one for me to hear because I'm a type A. Oh my God. That's my my next step. I don't think I'm there yet. Right. Well, if my checklist isn't fully checked off, I'm a failure. Like that, that really is the place I often come from and it adds a lot of unnecessary stress. And I guess I would ask you back, you know, the website, just let's just say on this example for a second, it didn't keep you from doing business, right? It didn't keep you from reaching your goals it was a project that you needed to accomplish. And I think sometimes we put fake timelines on stuff and create, so I like pressure, right? I, I I innovate in pressure. I'm a risk. I I like it. Yeah. But, um, but then sometimes
2: I fail because my timeline just made no sense to begin with. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. my timeline. Like Mm -hmm. it didn't mean anything to anyone, but I just had this conversation yesterday with my dear friend who also runs a business about like, um, budgeting and the numbers were off. Like I had assigned a certain percentage Mm -hmm. that I wanted to spend in my business on something. And I was getting really like, like, I don't know, anxious about it a little bit. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I made them up. Like I made these numbers up. Like they don't mean anything. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything about my day, my month or my year. Like, why am I feeling so weird about this? So I think we do that with so much more than just timelines as business owners. Like we are literally making it up. We get to decide every single thing that happens. So I don't know why we assign certain value to things, but anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Well, hey, That, but that's just a great lesson in
1: realizing that you can have goals like that. There's nothing wrong. I, I'm a big goal person, so it's hard for me to walk away from them. But to really recognize that what at least for me, what I'm really doing is self-imposing a deadline so that I take the actions I need to take. It's, it's really not about the deadline or the goal. It's about what I'm trying to accomplish. And if I remember that the goal is powerful because it moves me to action, but not um, detrimental in the sense that I get wrapped up in something that actually isn't the part that matters. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Oh, you just gave me a lot of freedom, Rachel. Thank you. I think a lot of people (laughs) out there love it. So what, Share with us a story of something innovative or thinking differently that that you've done to help you differentiate yourself, move your business, your life forward.
2: I mean, like I'm talking about photographers, the industry is getting saturated. It's the same with copywriters. Mm -hmm. Copywriting is becoming a little bit more mainstream, a little bit sexier of something to do. So I'm not the only person that does what I do. I'm not even the only person that writes websites for photographers. Like they're like, it's getting really niche down, which is great. So I think just trying to keep ahead of the curve and trying to, you know, implement my offers in a way that's different from the person that literally does exactly what I do. Um, and there's room for all of us. I refer people to my competition all the Mm -hmm. time if I'm not right for them, but like, um, when I structured my packages, I was living in Kenya. And so my time zone was dramatically different from all of my clients in the States. And so I couldn't manage calls with people more than Mm -hmm. once a week. So I structured Mm -hmm. it that we only work with one client at a time and the website's done in 11 days. So it's like, have a call on Monday, they get their first draft the next Monday. Mm -hmm. And then we edit it until that Friday done in 11 days, only one client at a time. They're the only voice in our head. And though that was a time constraint thing because of the time zone difference, it has served our business so well. And that was 2017. Like, this is 2022 and we are still operating the exact same way. And it people love it. People love being the only person we're talking to. You know, it makes them feel significant and special. It is less confusing to my writers because they can only have one voice in their head. And it's so fast and it gets them, their project done really quickly, which is what a lot of people want.
1: So what a great example, as I'm just hearing you talk about it, just to break it down for a second, like what a great example of number one, you get to focus and your client feels loved, right? They feel Mm -hmm, cared for. I think all too often, and and this I think applies whether you are inside a team or kind of entrepreneurs the way you and Mm -hmm. I are, is um, when you spread yourself so thin, nothing gets the attention it deserves. So it looks really good on the books, right? I'm doing 10 projects at once, but nothing really moves forward fast. But there's something else that you said that really spoke to me and it's the 11 days. And let me just tell you why, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it, Rachel. Mm -hmm. Is to me, you are. If I'm the one who's the recipient of that project, right? I get the final outcome of it. Um, I feel like you're going to move quickly, but but not so fast that you don't get it done well. But quickly, right? I want stuff mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. and if I have to wait, eleven days is not that long to wait to get started. So yeah. it's just like fascinating balance to me—a focus and a little bit of waiting time, but not time that would make me go elsewhere or find somebody else to do the project right and and I love what you said about the voice in their head being the only voice I think you know wait let me see if I get this right you're the copyright so you tell me isn't the definition of priority like one thing it's not yes. like we can't actually technically have right more than one priority yeah isn't that yeah. accurate right yes you're 100 right yeah and, and I, I read somewhere though somewhere in the 70s or 80s when it was like I can do it all that it changed to this priorities plural, but that's not actually accurate. Right. So you can't have multiple. So here you are, you're doing it quickly, but you're super hyper attentive and focused. And people who are waiting are not waiting long. Right. It's brilliant.
2: Yeah. And I, it was an accident all win, but it has worked so well. And we love it. And my writers love it because they get to be done in 11 days too. So.
1: and you're really making me think about, and, and all of us listening, I hope you hear this. How do I structure my work in a way that allows me to focus? So maybe I can't do 11 days. Maybe it's one day at a time. Maybe it's afternoon versus morning at a time. But oh, yeah. how do I chunk out my work in a way that allows me to be in the zone, right? Be hyper-focused, get it done well, and and not multitask since we can't do it. So I love that. And have one voice in my head at a time, right? Yeah. We don't need yeah. more up there. I think yes. we all know that. Exactly. That's a great example. So, what's a challenge you faced? And then, obviously, how have you overcome it?
2: I mean, I'm sure everybody says this, but like the past two years, it's yeah. been a real doozy. <laughs> so, we were living in Philadelphia, and I was six months pregnant when COVID hit. And so, I had a baby in June of 2020, my second. And we lived in a four story townhome in downtown Philly and had a big dog Practical. and two kids and no outside space. And it was just like the worst case scenario with COVID. And a year in we moved back to Denver, which was great. Um, and cause we had been here for eight years before yeah. all of our friends are here. It was wonderful. Um, but just like the challenge of running the business and trying to be optimistic for my clients that were like photographers really really felt the strain of covid because a lot of their events got canceled so a lot of them were very very desperate so i felt very much like a safe place for them to come Mm -hmm. and be like is this the right call like is this the time to invest i'm not making money right now you know so i was handling a lot of people's emotions and like Mm -hmm. postpartum and you know moving across the country and making huge life decisions And so it was just, it was so tough. And I would say the way I got over it is Instagram is a gigantic part of my business. I get most of my business from there and I just shut it down and I just got off for eight months. And I just said, this is the piece that needs to go for me to function. Like, I'm not going to make it if I watch other people who are not in this situation do better than me. (laughs) Like, I just
1: can't for a minute. So it gives me heart palpitations to hear you say that for a couple reasons. One is yeah. first of all, I'm so, I'm so proud of you for being, I mean, I think anytime we shut down social media, it's, it's a win for our own totally. mental state. It's yeah. so hard. And I'm not, I'm not good at it. So I'm not, this is no judgment to anybody. Yeah. Um, but also like that was a big part of your business and you, and you did that. And that's so hard. How did you figure out what needed to stay and what needed to go? And you know, I, I'm asking kind of on two levels. I think one is, um, you know, we get so wrapped up in trying to do it all, be it all, and then we've got to be, you know, that optimist for whether that's our team, our family, our clients, mm. right? So we're trying to keep it all together, but we're falling apart behind the scenes. Yeah. So, so something has to give. But like, you look at it all and you go, "Well, what? Right? Like, what? What do you even get rid of?" And so, I guess I want to, I want to understand your thought process around a process around figuring out his Instagram. And maybe some of the roller coaster promotion you went through in getting there because I think it applies to everything, whether that's social media or yeah. or whatever it is that's on your desk.
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, again, it's the made up numbers. like and this is obviously coming from a place of privilege and luxury. I cut my paycheck in half and I stopped mm-hmm. writing websites. I went from writing 20 to 30 websites a year by myself in addition to what my team was writing. Wow. In 2020, I think I wrote 19, even with my maternity leave. Wow. And in 2021, I wrote four because I went to my writers and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't support this. I can't keep doing it. I'm out of ideas. I'm out of cares to give. And they said, let us do it. Like, we'll take on more. We'll do it. And so they just carried everything. And I stepped back, did admin. I cut my paycheck in half, kept paying them the same, and just said, if I need for six months to not make as much money and we can survive then this is worth it. And so removing the social media pressure was really, really key for me. And just letting go of the illusion that I needed to make a certain amount. Like obviously we had to cut corners and do things differently. And the timing worked out because we moved across the country and then lived with my in-laws for eight weeks. So that was free. (laughs) So that was nice. Um, But yeah, we're very lucky that we were able to make it work, but my business would have folded if I didn't do that.
0: You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible.
1: I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. I love my job. I love that I get to interview people like you all day. It's like the best. (laughs) Here's what I hear that's so powerful in that is... um, you just admitted where you needed help and what wasn't working. Yes. And and then interestingly, there was a solution right in front of you, right? Your writers were yeah. like, no
2: problem. We'll we'll, you know. And I did not expect that. I thought they would be like great for right. burnout too. They were like, no, 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 give us more. And I was like, oh, right. I had no idea you wanted this. Well, we just, I think oftentimes, um, and, and even to, I was talking
1: to this group this morning and I was saying that like, it is really egotistical of us to think we have all the ideas. No, you look at the world as an everyday innovators, collaborative, inquisitive. I look at the world as a risk taker experiential. So what we see as opportunities and what we see as challenges are very different from our perspectives. Mm -hmm. And if we just put our blinders on and don't talk to other people, we miss, we miss ways to solve things. And we come up with great stuff on our own, but they're not complete. Mm -hmm. And so what your story kind of reminds me of is the importance of really being vulnerable and, but, and really being real about where you are, but then having that conversation with other people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I think I was humbled enough at that point by the whole situation to be able to be vulnerable. I don't know that before COVID I would have been able to do that, but it was just kind of necessary. Um, But then in 2021, we had our best financial year ever as a business. So and I was able to, you know, pay myself more once I got my feet under me again, you know, in June of 2021. So it worked out, but it, I needed that beat to be able to make it work.
1: Well, I think we underestimate the importance of not rejuvenation, but of sometimes pulling back for a little bit. You know, I saw this quote the other day that I'm totally going to botch, but here was the point of it. The point was something of like, in the old days right? When we were hunters and gatherers, we would spend a season hunting and gathering really hard all out. Yeah, And then we would spend a season reaping the benefits of our work. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten to a place where we work nonstop all year round and we are missing the ebb and flow that we actually need to be successful in our lives, to be strong innovators, because we're just too busy working
2: the whole time. Totally. And I've heard that same thing, which I think I literally just had this thought today saying like, there's winters in your business yeah. and summers, like seasons in your business. And I'm, it always feels like a grind. Like I, you need to take time and celebrate yeah. the wins. Otherwise it's always going to feel like you're in the hunter gatherer phase.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes not to get all rural on us, but sometimes when we back off and stop white knuckling, the universe shows us and gives us what we've actually been asking for, but we're so busy white knuckling. I kind of think of it as the con ball. Yeah, this is my analogy too. Right, is like if you give a dog a Kong ball with peanut butter in it, they'll not—they will not notice the plate of bacon two feet over for them.
2: Totally, Yes. Yeah.
1: And sometimes I feel like I'm so focused on the Kong ball that that plate of bacon is like, I'm right here, Tamara, and I'm like, no, <laughs> oh, I said I need the Kong ball. You know? Yeah, so I funny, am like, the
0: same
2: way.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you because you're you're I think you do such a brilliant job of bringing your everyday innovator style to life, um, and I'm hearing it. Thank all you. Time. You're welcome. Um, what does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator?
2: I mean, I just think trying, I think it's brave. I think it's brave to do something different. It would be so easy for me to build a business that I see next to me. You know, I can watch people's businesses pretty clearly with social media and with, you know, just technology in general. I feel like I can get a good grasp on what people are doing. And it would be easy, but it would not feel, I would have no ownership over it. I wouldn't be proud of it. It would just be a carbon copy of something that's already been done. And so I think being an everyday innovator is trying things for fun, even if you don't know if they're going to like provide some monetary benefit. Um, My friend, Lydia, she's a designer. She owns Telltale Design and she has really taught me this in business. And she sometimes does things. She's like, I don't know what the ROI is, but that sounds fun today. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that today. And I think obviously that can't be like the tenant of your business. Otherwise you'll waste all your money on fun things. But I do think sometimes investing in something that sounds fun is kind of, like you said, like you're not white knuckling the systems and processes that everybody tells you to do in order to run a successful business. You're You're just like trying something out and seeing if it works and seeing what you learn. Like the best ideas come from experiencing life and experiencing something new. And I think with COVID, I'm learning that so much more. Like I have missed so much creative energy because I'm not experiencing anything outside of my home. And now as we're like easing back out, I'm like, my brain is like lit back up almost to the point of overwhelm because I'm like, oh, experiencing the world makes me creative, like yeah. having interactions with other humans <laughs> turns a switch on. And I just haven't done that in so long. So I think just kind of doing that in your business too, like going out and interacting in new ways and trying something new, that's being an everyday innovator.
1: I love it. I love that you mentioned brave in the beginning too, because uh, I do think that, I think it's funny. I think that's a great word because I think we all know we want to do something that's unique and ownable to us, right? Authentic to us. And that's different than everything in the crowd. Um, but it takes a little bit of bravery to just step into that a little bit. Like it, oh, it's harder yeah. than it sounds like, Oh, just be
2: authentic, be yourself. And it's like, yeah, it's harder than it sounds actually. Well, you don't know how it's going to be received, especially right. now when you could have a million people come at you. If you say yeah. the wrong thing, like it's very, very brave to be yourself or to do something different or both. Yeah. And you're right. And
1: what's interesting on the other side of that bravery, I think is a lot of reward, um, because what's funny about the world too is while there's a lot of people who will come at you, of course. I mean, I'm on TikTok, I see what people <laughs> say I know, to each other. it's
2: terrifying. I,
1: I, sometimes I just look at the comments to see like I wonder what people are saying to yes, this person. Totally. But but also, um, because of the social media technology world that we live in, your your peeps are out there too. You just have to find them. They just yes. have to find you. Yes. And that's kind of the I think the and in your own community too, it doesn't have to be on social media, but yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: There's always so, a weirdo for you always hey, sometimes a group we, of them well
1: well I was always say like I'm gonna fly my freak flag and I'll see what other freaks come out and maybe like we'll like each other's freak flags and yes that's how I felt about you know adult dating by the way after divorce I was oh like I'm gonna fly my freak flag and we'll just see what
2: happens <laughs> I love that I have a lot of friends that are <laughs> freshly or somewhat freshly divorced and they're entering the dating world and I'm just like talk about bravery talk yeah, about we'll, bravery
1: we'll have a whole nother podcast about yeah that seriously do. I'll tell you very quick. I had, when I was in the throes of it, I, I now have found someone and like, you know, am off, but I was in the throes of it for a while there. And I wanted to create an anonymous podcast called Swipe Right and just share some of the absurd stories that I like experiences that I had. But anyway, that's a different conversation. That um, is so I, I also, speaking of experiences, I really like what you said about you got to get out there and experience it. And I think right now for a lot of us, that's important to hear because a lot of us love working from home. And so we're fighting going back into the office a little bit. So I would just remind us all that we don't need to go back to our nine to five in the cube world. I think that time has come and gone. And it's been proven that we actually work well when we have more work-life balance. Mm -hmm. But remember that you still have to be out in the world as Rachel's talking about. Because I do think that that, whatever experiences you love or need to be a part of fuels us in everything else that we do. Mm -hmm. It's not just I go ax throwing because I love ax throwing. That's not me, but like for someone else. <laughs> right. But, but that experience fuels them. And then they take that energy back into the work that they do or back into being a parent. Yes. And we forget that.
2: So what do you I do? forgot that for sure. Tell me more. What do you mean? I just forgot that I was like, oh, I've got all my creature comforts at home now. I just set yep. up my lair in my house. Cause I'm like, I'm not leaving. We're not getting COVID. And now as we're like easing back in, I'm just like, Oh, even the experiences I don't like are useful. Turns out I enjoy this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What do you do, Rachel? You know, like whether that's mindset, habits or behaviors to stay innovative. I feel like everybody says this, but it really is mine. Like when I'm stuck, like, the thing about our 11 day process is that you don't, you can't wait to get in the mood. Like you can a little bit, but like you got to write, you got to put some words on. Right, the paper. Yeah. And if I'm stuck, um, I'll go for a walk. But my favorite is just taking a shower because I can't look at anything. I can't pick up my phone. There is nothing going on. I always, everybody says this, but I always have my best ideas in the shower. I keep a waterproof notebook in my shower and I'm just, furiously scribbling the whole time. And I started doing that like three years ago and it is amazing. I love it. And so that's definitely, definitely part of my process. I am, and I don't know if this is part of my style. You tell me my go-to is to reach out to someone like when I want an that's idea the collaborative and, side. Yeah. And like when I want, you know, fuel, but sometimes the most powerful thing I can do is just shut it all down. Yeah. Yeah um,
1: I'm totally with you. And, and my whole family makes fun of me for taking the longest showers ever. Same, and and same. they're like, what are you doing in there? I'm like thinking, I don't yeah. know. Like, why is it so hard for you to understand? But it's I'm the thinking. only place that everything else is quiet. Yeah. And nobody's bothering me. So I'm yeah. thinking, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. And you know, I think we should all have something, whether that's a shower, a walk, petting your dog. Um, you know, one of the things that I think we, the trap that we fall into, particularly when we're trying to be productive, we've got deadlines, we've got, you know, to-dos is we try to go from task to task to task to task. And then we carry that mental residue with us versus giving ourselves a hot shower, a short walk, a moment to pet the dog, right? A Mm -hmm. a couple push-ups, like whatever works for you to just transition our brains and give it a a moment of downtime before we move on to the next thing. Yeah.
2: So I am not part of the 5am club in that way. I just, my brain just works better in the morning. Yeah. Like you are catching me at the, very. this is the down slope of Rachel's brain. Mine too. <laughs> and uh, we're doing it. We are doing a great job. I'm just telling you right now, but I wake up at 5. am every single day, not because I'm like a power woman, but because my best hours are five to seven and my yeah. kids get up at seven. So that natural break of like, I have two hours of the most perfect juice that I'm going to have all day. And then my kids need attention until mine, and then I can come back to it. And that natural break of my day, learning how to make that work for me has revolutionized the way that I work. So I would encourage us all to think about that, Um, especially now that I think we have and can
1: demand more flexibility in our work than ever before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partially the great resignation partially work from home, partially more kind of entrepreneurs out there. To really play with it and figure it out. I think a lot of us are working against our natural inclinations that way. Um, We see this with innovator styles all the time. You know, my dormant is collaborative, funny enough, because I love people. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I built this test. I shouldn't have any dormant, but I do. (laughs) And it's right, because I like to figure out the ideas first and then put them out to people. But I was for a while working in an environment where it was all about gathering, gathering, gathering. For me, that doesn't work, right? I Mm -hmm. I need to do my thing first and then come to the team. And so I think sometimes we work against ourselves. And I would encourage us all out there to think about from an innovator perspective, but also to your point, from a time perspective, and it's just the flow perspective. And I really though, Rachel, appreciate what you said about like, you have 11 days, you don't get to just strike when the iron's hot. right? <laughs> and, and And I think that we often think that innovation or creativity or that flows, you know, state can only come in that like moment of genius. But You getting up at 5 a.m., I'm assuming have coffee. If you don't, I might think you're crazy. Every single, the first thing I do. Okay. Um, Coffee and like knowing that five to seven is your power hour means that you've created a routine out of innovation Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. is really important. And a lot of us could be doing that.
2: Yeah. And I wasn't for a long time. I started, I love the morning, but I only started doing it again in September because I was like, okay, the kids are sleeping through the night. We're going to do this again. And sometimes you get interrupted, right? But yeah. I think
1: um, as another guest of mine said, like waiting for the magic to strike. She's like, my business is built on new product development. Her name is Julie. She said, waiting for the moment to strike. Like I can't build a business and feed my right. family that way. <laughs> right, no, you got to create the moment. You got to have yeah. tactics to create it. You know, that is like, that is, to, well, you said a lot of amazing things, but I just want to highlight that again. You've got to make the moment happen. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not that hard, right? Once you no. figure it out, what kind
2: of triggers you, You hack your brain. You hack your brain, and you can trick yourself into thinking, "Oh, we're in the flow now." I guess. Mine is coffee. Coffee gets like a
1: good hot, (laughs) and it could be ten o'clock at night or five in the morning. And as you know, I'm a well, I'm a morning person by training, Mm. not by default. But that is also because I do my best work of anything in the morning. So that's what I do. Um, What is your piece of advice as an inquisitive collaborative for other everyday innovators out there of all types looking to
2: innovate? I think, I heard this years ago. There's a copywriter, her name's Ashlyn Carter. Her business is Ashlyn Writes. And she said, and I don't know if it was original to her. She said, you find a U-sized hole in the market and you fill it. Like, don't look at what other people are doing and try to be Mm -hmm. like them. And I think a lot of innovators get excited by other people who are further ahead of them. And I absolutely think it's worth learning from the people who have done it. A hundred percent. I've learned so much from people who are further ahead in their careers than me. but when Ashlyn said that it just really, really stuck with me because it's like, Oh, I'm the only me. And there's yeah. going to be people that are attracted to me. Like my website says doucheburger on it, like on the home page, front and center. And people either love that or they're like, mm, not for me. And that's a good thing. You know, you want to repel certain people you want You want to find your tribe in a sense. And I mean, that's like Seth Godin's whole book, one of them. Um, But I think doing that is exactly how you innovate. You know, you just, you don't try to be anything that you're not. You just try to follow your own ideas and your own instinct. That is such great advice to end on. Thank you. I've got one personal question for
1: you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what's something we'd be surprised to learn about you? Oh,
2: Oh, I always tell, um, I grew up Mennonite. I remember that now that yeah. you say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I grew up in you- Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and all my neighbors had horse and buggies. We did not, we were not that kind of Mennonite, but yeah, I went to Mennonite high school. Do you find that? Cause I'm sure you get like a range
1: of responses. Oh, when yeah. you tell people that, yeah, like from probably pretty good to probably not so great, right? But <laughs> No, everybody's find, like, always just fascinated. Yeah, like, really? Um, do you find now looking back that, that it's such a different experience than most of the world? Do you find looking back that that gave you a, a different perspective or a different
2: foundation to springboard off of because it was so different? Yeah. I mean, where I grew up, almost everyone is Mennonite and it's a spectrum. Like you can drive a horse and buggy mm-hmm. or you can like you would have met me and had no idea I was Mennonite when I was in high school. But if you talked to me for two seconds and heard my belief systems and all of that, you would have known. (laughs) Um, And though I don't like subscribe to everything that I was raised in, I think it is a fascinating look at like family of origin and how it affects Mm -hmm. who you become and um, how important it is. You know, what you teach your kids is so, so important. And yeah. I mean, I love the Mennonite culture. I they are so service oriented and yeah. giving is like a huge tenant in my business and I know that comes directly from my parents yeah. and what they taught me. And so there's so many beautiful beautiful pieces of that culture that have stuck with me and that I got to keep Very cool. even though I'm not a part of it anymore.
1: Rachel, that was fantastic. Thank you so oh, much for so much fun. That who you are and your insights, I, I, there are so much goodness. I know that everyone kind of all these everyday innovators listening are going to be taking some notes, but I think there were a lot of these, like, mm, you know what I mean? like yeah. those
2: Like, <laughs> Oh good. I'm yes. so glad. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. This was so much fun. I so appreciate you having me on.
0: Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation Soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.